You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Um, yeah, all right, we're going to hop to a message. I've found over the years here at 1208 that when there's different kinds of things going on in the world uh, of social justice, rather than try to sweep it under the rug and just kind of not acknowledge it from the church platform, I usually do my best to try to get into it. I'm a big social justice kind of guy. Um, I think it's one of the key elements of what can sometimes help 1208 be a little more unique is that we try to address these kinds of things. And try to do it um, uh, straight, but also kindly, compassionately, things like that. I'm currently getting my master's in theology and social justice. So pursuing the Bible and trying to understand its route on that is, is important to me. Now, today's particular topic has a lot of different um, engagements with it. We're used to the extremes when it comes to the topic of abortion, where there's either just uh, none of it or... All of it, <laughs> but a lot of people, including Christians, tend to find themselves all across the gamut on this topic. I'm going to uh, kind of give you my perspective from what I see in the Bible and culture and throughout uh, early church history, things like that. Um, so we'll kind of hop into to that as we go along today. Um, uh, as a free Methodist church, where uh, we are rather traditional on the pro-life side of this thing, and I'll kind of give some clarifications as we go along. Because I realize this is a big conversation. There's a lot more within it than a lot of times a church addresses. Often the church has kind of uh, been known to just call everyone murderers and leave it at that, which is not a good way to have a conversation. And it's not a good way to um, enter into the topic whatsoever. There's a lot of social justice issues connected to this social justice issue that fuel this social justice issue. So... Let's get into the topic, uh, abortion in the church. Some of you might have already heard me talk about this a little bit uh, because I made a post this week where I'll be fueling a lot of this from, doing some reading and whatnot. Um, so if you need the bullet points, you can check that out after this. Uh, but uh, let's go ahead and kind of dive in. So next slide. Uh, there are modern reasons that people end up getting an abortion, and a lot of times the only one that the church ever highlights is that, well, people just don't want to have a kid, and they just kind of leave it at that. But the list is actually quite lengthy. We'll put some of them up here. This is from an article, a, a, a scholarly article, Reasons Why Women Have Induced Abortions, uh, a synthesis of findings from 14 countries. These are specific to the U.S., 40% are not financially prepared. 36%, it's not the right time for a baby. 31%, partner-related. Uh, 29% need to focus on other children. 20% interferes with future opportunities, like work and education. Uh, 19%, not emotionally or mentally prepared. 12%, risk to maternal or fetal health. 12% want a better life for the baby than what they think they can provide. 7% not independent or mature enough for the baby. 5% influence from family or friends. And 4%, only 4% say they don't want a baby. So let's already shift the conversation here. 
Because the church is known to usually just, oh, you're just all, oh, you don't want to have a baby, and that's just the end of the story, and so you just go for it. 4% on a uh, checklist where they could mark any box. Only 4%. Check that one. So a few, a few points. First off, next slide. First off, one of these the Free Methodist Church agrees with. And traditionally, the church throughout history, well, I don't know if I want to say at least the church, but at least like the Jewish culture throughout history, agreed with this. That if there is a risk to maternal health, guess what? It's still a pro-life conversation. If the mother might pass away by trying to give birth to a baby. Like, we, we believe that uh, babies should be born because we are pro-life in all circumstances. But if the mother's health is at risk, then the pro-life conversation becomes a wider pro-life conversation, right? Because now the mother, their life is on the line. And what do you do in situations like that? That's not up for anyone to decide except taking it to the Lord in prayer and wisdom to say what makes the most sense here. Sometimes he challenges people to go in faith and everyone is fine. Um, Other times, you know, he might have something to say to the issue. I don't know, but we do our best to make wise choices. But as far as this one goes, at least in the Free Methodist Church, we agree. Like, this is a pro-life issue. If the mother's health is at risk, then that's one of the situations in which abortion actually becomes like a conversation of does this make sense or not. So already we're taking away this like hard line of just, it's a, uh, um, just talking about it in one dimension. We bring in more. Out of these, next slide, several of these are other pro-life issues. Yes, the church has claimed for centuries that abortion is a social justice issue. But these are all social justice issues attached to it. Not financially prepared. Does anybody in here know someone who's not financially prepared? Hands up. Hmm? Two of you know a poor person. Get out there more, all right? (laughs) Not financially prepared. 40% of people who consider abortion or got an abortion said that they couldn't afford the baby. That's a pretty big issue. That's another social justice pro-life issue. Which means if you want to stop something like abortion, you have to actually get down to the root of what is causing it in the first place. I was recently meeting with someone, and we were going to the Holy Spirit to do some inner healing. And uh, we wanted to just be done with this phase of their inner healing. We had been working on it forever. We knew the subject that we had to face. We had to take care of, of this particular theme in their life. And we just kept saying, like, why do we have to face all this extra intense stuff? We know the story well enough that that we really don't want to dive any deeper into this. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to them and said, if you want to take care of this issue, you have to get all the way down to the root and yank it up. In other words, don't just know, like, you have this theme in your life and just leave it at that. I'll get better at the theme. The Holy Spirit was like, no, we got to get all the way to the bottom of this theme. Why is it there in the first place? And once you really understand that, then we're going to rip it out of the ground and be done with this theme forever. Abortion's the same way. The church is so often just trying to politically get to the top and like mow it down with a lawnmower. Is that working? I mean, we just, yeah, the policies changed at like the national level, but is now, now all of our states are facing it. 
And one of the big difficulties the church is having with proposal three is like, this is more vicious than it was before. Okay, so mowing it down from the top actually made it grow back even stronger to some extent if it were to go that route. If you want to take, if, if you care about something like abortion and you want it to stop, then people need money to take care of their families. And this is where the church can start to enter in. Because when you look at the Acts church, the way that the church in Acts is described as like taking care of everyone around them. If someone doesn't have food, they'll just fast and give them their food. The way in which that kind of church is described from a social perspective, that starts to make the ancient Greeks think of utopia. Because this was the kind of utopian world that they were striving for. And the only place in which anyone was finding that world was in the Christians at the time. Wow, they really take care of one another. Guess what happens when you take care of one another? The roots of the issues start to break down and the whole plant starts falling apart. Not financially prepared. That's one of the social justice issues. Partner related, which seems, I mean, that's a pretty broad category. We don't always know the reasons the partner came to that conversation, but we could be talking about abuse, you know, like I'm afraid to raise this child because my husband might abuse them like they abuse me could be partner related that they're in their authoritarian dominating perspective just saying no you're not having that baby and they abuse them you, you just we don't know but partner related is a big one that's a social justice issue the need to focus on other children that can be social justice issues especially when you get to single moms in fact it seems somewhere around 75%, if I'm remembering the math right from the post I made the other day, 75% of the stats that we look at of people who filled out these kinds of articles, they appear to be single, um, single mothers living in poverty, making at max, I think, like twice the poverty rate. Have you met a single mother in poverty? Have you seen how hard their life is? I just this past week have been trying to uh, serve someone who's living a single mother life in poverty. They go to work straight through the night, having to leave their kids at home because they decided to have the kids, leave their kids at home to sleep through the night. And then I get a call at six in the morning. Sorry, I hate waking you up, but I'm just stuck at 7-Eleven. I need a ride. Uh, I can't get back home. And I got to get the kids ready to go to school in like 30 minutes. And I don't have gas money to get them to school. Do you have $20? Can I also get a ride? Someone here at 7-Eleven just gave me $20, but there's no Uber in Jackson. Like these are the kind of situations that people in poverty and people who are single parents are facing all the time, trying just to keep their head above water. The church can alleviate that by being friends to such people. And so me and Jody just said, let's, they go to the same school. Let's tell them we'll drive them to school every morning. That'll at least save some gas. Are you ready to lay down your life and the easiness of, well, getting kids to school is never easy, but adding more turmoil into getting your kids to school? <laughs> Jesus laid his life down for us. We need to lay our lives down for others to create that early church acts utopia kind of place where people start finding solutions to the problems that they've been facing and then the bigger things to which these kind of problems lead start dying out a little bit more suddenly people don't need abortions as much because they actually have 
a security system to take care of them in their poverty, and it's called the church. Uh, interferes with future opportunities like work and education. That could be a social justice issue. It's more, um, this would be in the extent that a lot of women, like once they have a kid, there's a lot of um, so we're on stigma that comes on them as to, are they going to be able to work? Or are they going to be able to come to the workplace? Or are they going to bring the child with them? Things like that. This is like a social problem where we tend to view women with kids differently. Um, but that then takes away some of their opportunities when they know that they don't have the support back home or they can't afford daycare and so on and so forth. And want a better life for the baby than they can provide. I mean, that's a social justice issue. They already know how their lives have gone to this point, and now they're afraid if they raise this baby, that's going to face all the same kinds of things. The church can be solutions to these. And it's a slow process. <laughs> Part of the reason that the church doesn't think in these kinds of ways, because we're always like, if we just change politics at the top, the whole thing will break. No, abortion is always going to be here. It will take on different forms. It's the same with slavery, right? Slavery will always be here because humanity gives itself over to Satan over and over again. Slavery, from a legal perspective, might have ended. Now we have human trafficking. And it lives on in the guise of prostitution where people don't recognize that the prostitutes they're sleeping with are slaves to these pimps who have taken control of their lives. Some sins will continue to live on in society. The church, rather than just mow it down from the top, though that is important, the church needs to get, in, lie, get uh, in context of this at the bottom to start healing it from the root up. Okay, next slide. Those are modern reasons for abortion. Uh, here's where the church, I think, fails when they come and talk uh, about pro-life. Is that the church is some of the least pro-life people I know. <laughs> we have been accused, especially over the last few years, and accused rightly of being nationalistic, power-hungry, Trumpist, hateful, racist bigots who just want to get our way and everyone else can step out of the way, give us our guns because we're going to kill anyone who gets in our way. We're going to put up all these different, take crosses to insurrections and all of these things. It's just, it's ridiculous. So when we come along and we say, I'm pro-life because I check one box on how I vote, it's just bullcrap. Pro-life, we come across this kind of thinking because Jesus was all about the life of other people. He lays his life down for others because God creates us and makes us in his image. And therefore, when we hurt someone else or kill someone else or are not about someone else's life, we are then hurting the image of God. An attack on another person, no matter how messed up they are, is an attack on God himself. God has other ways of bringing about consequences and healing than killing people. The church is known for when race issues come up, just saying, well, racism's not real. We used to have peace before you all started saying that we're racists again, and now you're just messing everything up. Guess who else had that conversation? Martin Luther King Jr., back in the day. There he was in Birmingham, Alabama. When a white man comes up to him, he's like, 
man, we used to have this fine. Everybody was peaceful. We were all good. There were no problems. And you came along and started making problems. Martin Luther King's just like, no, this is, this is, you want to have a peace that is no peace, right? You want to, you want to keep living in this peace where people are oppressed, but it doesn't affect you and nobody comes up against you. That's not peace. That's not Jesus' peace. Jesus cares about these kinds of issues. And so we're here to say that there's oppression and it needs to stop. Whenever you try to fight for things of social justice, it will shake things up and it will make people angry because it changes the balance of the way that things work and it makes us aware that we need to be convicted of our stuff. But the church, when it came to race issues over the last few years, we didn't even try to be convicted about stuff. Pastors were afraid to talk about it from their pulpits. Someone was telling me a story of their friend who's a pastor who had like, uh, it was a pretty large church, I think maybe 13, 1,500. They said they lost 25% of it uh, maybe over COVID, another 25% over issues when they talked about race and another 25% on some other subject that the church should be about. Until finally it was just whittled down to a few hundred people left. That's not peace. If the church needs to ignore important topics so that people will go to church, that's not even Christianity. That's just something else. So when things like race come up, yeah, the church is going to address it because the church was founded on the back of anti-racism. You know how our religion has only been for Jewish people? How about we give it away to the people that we usually used to despise? What? (laughs) That's what we're founded on the backs of. And so if we don't care about that kind of stuff, we're not even being faithful to our foundations. Likewise, we like to throw people in prison, which a lot of times is just a modern day kind of uh, slavery. The amount of, of African-Americans who find themselves in prison is astronomical. There are race issues going on right there as well, where clearly judges are judging people by the color of their skin when they're giving out sentences. And then we throw them in prison and then we don't try to help them along or redeem their situation at all. Just give them a life sentence and say that, don't, don't worry about anything else, we'll never see you again. And then they finally, if they're lucky enough to get out of prison, they haven't healed from anything because nobody tried to heal them from anything. They just abused them in there. Horrible things happened to there. The trauma they had on the outside has only been exponentially created even more on the inside. And now they get back to life and guess what? They spiral. They don't know anything else. Nobody has given them anything to go off of. And so they find themselves back in an anti-life perspective where they just keep spiraling because nobody is caring about them. The same with uh, 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 Christian view on the death penalty. We of all people should be people who say God can change anyone's life around. But instead, it's usually the Christians who are like, yeah, some people still deserve to die. Kill them. Same with guns. When we renew our mind to the understanding that anyone could be our enemy and we should kill them, we put away the cross that we're supposed to be hanging on. When we renew our mind to this idea that, like, I got to have a gun when I go to the store because I might have to be Superman at some point and kill someone because anybody in here might pull out a gun and try to shoot us all, we are not renewing our mind to Jesus. These are all pro-life issues, and it's usually the Christians who need their guns and their rights and their 
pro-death scenarios on all politics except babies whom they can't see, hear, or touch. And so it's not even their problem because the people that they can see, hear, and touch that they should have pro-life ethics toward, they don't care about. I will. That's kind of a big deal. We are pro-life towards the things that we can't see. And then when they're born into all those situations that we just talked about, and then their lives spiral out of control and we put them in pro-death situations like prison, we just pro-life them into life and pro-death them out. Does any of this make sense? Abortion is a much bigger issue than just the way we talk about it politically. All right, let's continue on here. Uh, by the way, these kind of pro-life things, the early church was very pro-life on a lot of stuff. I mean, like everything. And we'll get to that in a minute, but their understanding was just generally like, if we face a scenario that is about life and death, we choose life because that's what Jesus is about. All right, this is an ancient justice issue. Okay, so if we were to go all the way back to Egypt, that's one of our first stories in the Bible on abortion. So whenever anybody's like, this is just a modern scenario, we can't believe we're facing it. This has been around since like the first pages of the second book of the Bible, (laughs) all the way back then. And a lot of people don't even realize this is abortion, which let's just think about it from the perspective that we usually do. If a baby was born and then it was a boy and then you killed it, that would be abortion. That's the same concept, right? A baby is born, we just couldn't tell on the inside, so we killed it. That's not actually the way that it went in ancient Egypt, though. Because Pharaoh told his midwives to make sure that uh, um, they took care of any baby boys while they were on this, this Hebrew word that is only in the Bible twice. And in one part of the Bible, it's translated potter's wheel. Now, in Egyptian culture, there was a god that was thought to create life on a potter's wheel within the womb. So essentially what the Bible is saying is that the Egyptian midwives were supposed to look at the baby while it's in the womb, try to discern the sex, which people still do today. We call it old wives' tales, right? Oh, you're leaning to the left. It must be a boy. You know, like, but in ancient times where you didn't have science, that stuff was like, that was really what you leaned into. So the midwives would be like, well, based on what I'm saying, this is a boy and we need to take care of it in the womb. Well, how would they do that? We think they can only do that because of modern technology. No, back then they had all kinds of ways to go about it. The most potent of ways or the most common of ways was what we today would recognize as sorcery or witchcraft. It's, it's drugs purposefully created for a negative reaction in someone. Um, and so they would essentially just poison you to the point that Uh, The mom could live, but the womb was just so uninhabitable because it wasn't created for a safe space that the baby would just die in the womb and then they'd give birth to a a dead baby. That that was abortion in the ancient world. And it's not recent. That's ancient Egypt, right? That's right there at the beginning of the Bible. All right, uh, next slide. Um, Here's the ancient reasons for abortion. We give them for modern U.S. Go ahead. Uh, forced to abort by a husband or lover. This is like Greece time. This is around when Jesus was alive. These were the reasons people pursued abortion during Jesus' time. Forced to abort by a husband or lover uh, to conceal illicit sexual activity. Some things never change. And if the church is guilty of abortion for a purpose, this is always the big one. Don't let the church find out. 
We're pro-life unless it's our family. Rich women did not want to share their wealth with lower-class children, fathered illegitimately, uh, to preserve sex appeal, family limitation. The wealthy did not want to share their estates with their offspring. The poor felt unable to support large families, a corrective to the many efficient means of contraception. So what they tried to do to prevent a child didn't work, so now abortion is next. And then health reasons. The mother's life is at risk, and they might pursue it for that. So the health reasons, one, we see that that's carried on throughout history. But all these other ones, a lot of these are social justice issues. Well, I don't want to have this kid because it's going to take away my money. But these, some of these are even more like selfish social justice issues, right? We don't want the baby to be born because it will upset our lives and all things like that. So some of these I know carry on into today. Some of them maybe belong in ancient Greece. But these were the kinds of reasons that people were doing this in the ancient world. Rich people did it more because they had the money to afford it, but the poor were using it as well. Uh, next slide. The ancient process for abortion, I've already shared some of that, the witchcraft and uh, uh, sorcery. It's a word in the Bible called pharmakia. Pharmakia was, uh, does that sound familiar? P-H-A-R-M, pharmacy, right? So you see the drug relation even in the ancient Greek root words. Uh, but chemicals, medicines, poisons, potions, drugs, uh, substances induced, uh, introduced directly into the womb via the birth canal, that destroyed the fetus or expelled it. Being exposed to certain smells like a donkey's butt is one of the ones. Um, not all these worked, just to clarify. Okay? <laughs> they didn't have all of the greatest uh, techniques. Magical charms, astrological predictions of good and bad days for abortion. Uh, some of them were more physical, like bind the, the womb very tightly or hitting the womb. And then they had tools. I think there was one specific one, especially that kind of kept things open and then put a sharp object in there. Essentially the equivalent of like hanger abortions that we still see today. Uh, so these, just because they didn't have the uh, technology doesn't mean that they didn't have ways to go about it. Uh, next slide. All right, so um, this was ancient Greece. Abortion was pretty common. And it reached a peak at one point. I think the first and second century, it was just very, very common. Uh, but Jewish culture stood out. You know how, like, sometimes you're searching your Bible for information on a hot topic because you want to know what they said and you can't find anything anywhere? <laughs> and you wonder, like, why you can't find any information on this hot topic? Sometimes it's because, like, ancient people just... That was so far out of their radar of talking about or discussing or approving of that they just didn't even come up in conversation because it was so out of their cultural mind. In this case, abortion was way out of the mind of the Jewish culture to the point that they really didn't talk about it at all. They had two ways of talking about it if it was an accidental abortion or if it was like a therapeutic. In other words, it was for the health reasons of the mother. On issues like that, then the ancient church, sorry, the ancient Jews would talk about it. But when it came to like a selective chosen abortion out of your own initiative, that was so far out of their own mind, you really don't find it in any of their writings, in the Bible, in like much of the Talmud or uh, Jewish discussion. And that's because for them, like their theology has that these 
babies are, are people. They didn't necessarily believe that they were babies with rights. In their minds, I think they were still connected like the baby is a part of the mother until it's born. It's not its own individual person. But the ancient Jews were all about life because God is a God of life. In fact, some of the rules that we see in the Bible that are so obscure to us come because God is just so much a God of life that he can't be around any form of death. So like there are some ritual rules in ancient laws that like if a woman was menstruating or if a man had expelled his semen, they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies or into the tabernacle. And we look at that and we're like, oh, they just think that's so gross or unclean. No, the idea was if you're expelling your semen or blood is coming out of you, there's a certain kind of death that is being released from you, and death does not belong with God who is life. So take a few days to allow that death to be released, and then you can walk into the Holy of Holies after you've gone through that ritual cleansing of now being full of life again. So in their minds, God is all about life in all ways. The Holy Spirit knits us together in the womb. The Holy Spirit makes us, designs us, Content, you live today because the Holy Spirit is still animating you with his breath. And one day you will die. And as a Christian, the Holy Spirit will lift you back to life again to bring about the new resurrected body. God is life, life, life all the way through. In the ancient Jewish world, we always have these questions today of like, how many kids do we want to have? In the Jewish world, it was more or less like you don't stop until it just stops. Because in their mind, kids were blessing. God is the creator of life, and he's given you as many kids as he can. That's why throughout the Bible, you just see all, all these people having like 13 kids and whatnot. is because you just keep going till you can. In fact, a lot of times, the way that they perceive the world is like, if you couldn't have a baby, then that must be like a curse or something. Now, we know today that that's not the case, nor did they recognize that men can have problems too. They just didn't have the science to understand that then. Um, uh, but uh, um, they, they classified children all around God. God was the creator. God brought about life. You wanted to have as many babies as you could. And that was their whole focus. So the idea of like God has blessed me with a baby and now I'm going to kill it in the womb, it just doesn't even cross their mind. Uh, and since Christianity is a Jewish religion, it's founded on the back of Judaism, we walked with that. So the early church began to walk in the same direction. And I'll give you just three examples. The word pharmakia, again, for sorcery or witchcraft, it comes up throughout the Bible. And it is always in a negative aspect. Christians are not supposed to have anything to do with it. Uh, in Revelation, it talks about, like, if you're pursuing pharmakia or sorcery or witchcraft, that belongs with Satan and hell. And that's where you'll end up being sentenced to. So... With that perspective of the Bible, we recognize that since pharmakia is connected to abortion, the Bible technically says, like, don't pursue the things that lead to abortion because that was, in their mind, not to be connected with. But the Christians went a step further than the Jews. The Christians believed that since Jesus said the most important rule was to love God and neighbor, that a child in your womb was a neighbor and needed to be loved in all circumstances. And so they came to this understanding like uh, abortion was off the table with babies. This is actually not a, a new Christian conversation. This is like second, first, second century uh, Christianity. So they came to the point of saying no pharmacia, 
And then if you look at some of the um, early Christian writings that are not biblical, but they were very central to Christianity in the early church, uh, the Didache um, did have one of those really intense statements, thou shalt not murder a child by abortion or destruction. The Epistle of Barnabas, another important one, before it talks about abortion, it frames abortion under the light, thou shalt love thy neighbor more than thine own life. So you see that the early church had these conversations as well and came to a conclusion on it that has stayed pretty traditional all throughout uh, the last two centuries. Uh, Though I understand that some have been changing their opinion on it now. Uh, Next slide, we're almost done. Okay, so as we wrap up here, I hope that this creates a better conversation already, that it's not just like coming in full force, wall up, abortion's wrong, end of story, shut up, you're all wrong, get out of here. There's a lot to this conversation. And if we want to uh, weaken abortion, because I don't think it will go away, if you want to weaken abortion, then you have to address the things at the root and you have to be able to have better conversations. That means when you go up to someone who doesn't believe that abortion is wrong, you don't start with, well, you're a murderer and I hate you. You think that's going to go anywhere? (laughs) Does that go anywhere with your spouse? Don't call your spouse a murderer and tell them you hate them. But like, if you want to have a conversation with someone, you need to be able to have a conversation with someone. This was the beauty of nerd church. When we started nerd church, it was like, we got to get into that culture, understand the way they think and speak the way that they think. It's the same with abortion. When you go up to someone who's not a Christian and they're okay with abortion and you're not, and you come and you say, well, the Bible says, guess what? They don't give a crap. They don't believe in the Bible. Why would you quote the Bible to them? (laughs) That's not going to take it anywhere. That means nothing to them. When you say, well, God says, guess what? They don't give a crap. They don't believe in God. Why would they care what a God they don't believe in thinks? When you come and say, well, Jesus says, guess what? (laughs) Are you following me now? They don't care about Jesus. They may not even think that he's real. You have to have better conversations than Christianese ones with the world. They will believe you on topics of science, which so far, you know, we've got some strength. At some point, babies are clearly sentient in there. But that's always going to be pushed back as far. The Christian understanding is revolving a lot around the spirit, that God knits the spirit into the baby, and we don't know when that happens. Maybe it's at the very moment that they're born. But we even know, like, regardless of when the spirit comes in, God assigns things to people sometimes before they're even born. Jeremiah, before you were even born, I knew you and made you a prophet. Before Jeremiah was even conceived, he already had an identity as someone. Moses, God was going to use Moses to free the people. Jesus, after Jesus was born, they tried to abort him, tried to kill him, tried to end his life. So he had become a refugee, which is another social justice issue and a pro-life issue. If you want to be able to have a better conversation, you're going to have to come to people on their terms. And if it just ends with you saying that they're wrong and you're right, you did nothing to the conversation. I had this conversation with someone online when I put this post up who had many different ideas and good suggestions to be thinking harder about. 
And I recognize that they're not going to come to terms on any of my convictions. And in the end, we had to kind of make a, yeah, I hear you, you hear me. I do have more to say, but it's all within theological terms, and that's not going to help here. Um, but that is conviction for me to push it regardless, right? Uh, so be able to speak to people better. I remember a story of one person who changed their mind on this. Like they, I think they worked big in trying to make abortion more legal, if I remember right. This is, this is a while ago on like NPR or something. And then they actually changed their mind on the topic because they were convicted about it. Um, and one of the things that they said after they were convicted is like, it was like they were nervous now to have changed their mind because they know how Christians always sound and they were afraid they were going to sound like them, telling people that they're murderers and, and that's the end of the story. Look, if somebody has a different worldview, they may be at the point where their mind cannot conceive as a fetus as a person. The Christian is so pro-life that they went the distance even beyond the Jews to say that baby is a separate person from the mom and they need to be loved and treated as a neighbor. That's the Christian view. So we're always probably going to be more pro-life than most people. Um, I realize, again, that the Christian view has shifted over time and that this may not be even your way of thinking. But I hope that even if you clash with what I think, that I have at least fostered a better conversation. Part of it is by yelling at the church. (laughs) If you want to have a good conversation with someone, start with your own faults. For example, I'm a man in the church as a pastor. You know how many sins are attributed to me in those statements alone? (laughs) And I'm white. Doesn't help. And yet here I am on the stage as a white male pastor in the church talking to people who women are the ones affected by this. And I'm saying how you should think. I get it. So I'll start there. I am sorry. Please forgive me and all men and church people on behalf of this subject. I hope I have fostered a better conversation for entering into this. I realize uh, that there's a lot to this conversation. And there's one thing you can do today. So you can go and love your neighbor. And if you do that, that weed will start to fall apart. Rather than mowing it down, it will lose its nutrients And even if abortion is always around, it will weaken. Just like Jesus said, uh, the poor are always going to be around. Jesus did not mean, so don't worry about it. (laughs) No, because Jesus also said, so take care of them. Same with this. Abortion will probably always be around because the things that feed it will always be around. But take care of them. Love them. Show them Christ in every action. Give them reason to know that someone will take care of their family, and it's through the family of Christ. So, Jesus, we give our heart, mind, soul, and strength to you. I know this is a complicated conversation, and it has a lot of overtones. There may even be things that I didn't say that just got read into what I said because of the things that people have said in the past. But we come uh, wanting uh, justice. And God, the, the fear for a lot of people, and the reason I even bring it up today is because we have this Proposal 3 coming up soon, and uh, um, it seems rather extreme. And if Christians can enter into this on a political perspective, we might at least be able to say if abortion is going to exist, not like that. Um, 
But we recognize that regardless of what goes on politically, Jesus, you are our king. And we have to live as you call us to live. We have to give our hearts solely to you and be obedient to you alone. So help us as we live in the kingdom of heaven under your kingship to always be following you, but also to find a kind, loving, joyful, peaceful, patient way to prod and poke prophetically at the powers that be that they might see why we care so much about life. Even if they don't agree with us, help them understand our worldview that just as they care about social justice issues, we care about this one because we see it in the same light. Teach us and grow us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Two books that might help you on this topic if you want to go deeper. One is The Politics of the Cross by Dan Williams. Dan Williams. That's a great book. He uh, doesn't quite come down as extreme on it, but he does have the same uh, kind of pro-life stance on it. But he gets into a lot of good politics political themes throughout it, including a whole chapter on abortion. But then also, uh, Michael J. Gorman is where I took all the ancient stats from, scholarly book, but if you enjoy that kind of thing, he'll show you how the ancient world and abortion kind of work together. Uh, And his book was Abortion in the Ancient Greek and Judeo (coughs) Worldview, something like that. So, Okay, love you guys. We'll see you next week, if not sooner. It is kingdom ministry time. Uh, Take a tree. Take a prayer, do some dishes, stick around for groups. And I forgot, Caitlin has one word before I close up because you might need this for prayer. Caitlin? Okay, so I gave a word, I don't even know how many weeks ago it was. It was before reveal, so it was a good while ago. But um, while I was standing over there waiting to see if anyone needed prayer, um, I, God brought it back to me and kind of expanded on it just like a little bit more. And I felt like today was the day that it needed to be brought up again. So here I go. So it's a person walking down a street with um, doors. And it's Full House style. So if you've ever seen like the picture of Full House and all that. So, but it was dark. It was pitch black. And... Um, this person is like going like this, like they're like hugging themselves and um, they keep knocking on the doors and no one will answer, but they just keep going to the next house and the next house and knocking on these doors and these doors all look the same. And so the word I got today to add on that was lost. You feel lost, you keep looking for something, you keep knocking, but no one will open the door. But the thing that I also see in this person is that even though they might feel lonely and they might feel lost, they keep knocking. And that in itself is just beautiful because you're not giving up. Even though like everything in you kind of wants to give up, you're not giving up. Um, The other word I got was I was standing in like a sacred space with God. And so I'm looking at God, but around us is this tornado. And... um, I felt like God said, if your mind feels like a tornado of thoughts and and you're inside that tornado, God wants to heal that just as much as he wants to heal physical ailments. And then as I was sitting back there and I was just kind of thinking about everything, uh, me and Jamin recently had a meeting between the two of us, um, another healing meeting. And God had, every time I kept going in my sacred space, God had his hand on my heart. 
And I couldn't figure it out. And I thought maybe God was just trying to heal my heart and like my mind. And it was like, you know, and I just like couldn't really figure it all out. And then on our re- most recent meeting, God said to me, your heart is being, you're hurting your heart physically because you're not letting go of your control. And so I don't think that we realize sometimes that our physical ailments that we have can't be healed until our mind is healed and how heavily your your mind and your heart go together and that also just like affects your body and so if you if any of these words resonate i just ask that you would be obedient and that you would come and you would come to me and joel and you would just get the prayer that um, god would like you to have and just talk about it and so that's that